Good evening, good morning, good afternoon. Welcome to another episode of Two Developers Down Under. This is episode 29 of our podcast. Uh, as per usual, I am joined by my outstandingly odd partner in crime, Kai Koenig. Kai, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well, Mark. How are you? I'm good. We're not actually meeting at 6 o'clock in the morning, which is kind of pleasant. Yeah, that's actually true because we're recording on a Saturday here. Yep. So it's 12.40 for me, and it's just 10.40 for you, which is a quite civil time, actually, it's, I think. It is. It's very civilized. Who knows? Maybe become very civilized. So what interesting stuff have you got that uh, happened today? Um, I found particularly two things that caught my interest. One was um, today the first aerial circumnavigation of the world was started yep. in 1924 by a team of aviators from the of the U- U.S. Army. Um, interesting enough, the second one that was completed was in 1929, like five years later, by a guy that our Australian listeners probably know, Charles Kingford Smith. Okay. And the other thing I found is um, uh, in 1973, Pioneer 11 was launched, just yep. like a little space probe traveling out to the outer edges of the solar system. So it went to Jupiter and Saturn. And um, so I think communication has been lost since November 1995 with that probe, but it might be still on its way. Who knows? Cool. I've got uh, – uh, where were we? First modern Olympic Games opens in 1896 today. Oh. Well, that was a pretty cool one. And the other one I really liked is uh, it's the 75th anniversary of when Teflon was invented. Really? Interesting. Yeah. What is Teflon used nowadays for like you know frying pans and stuff yeah, like that it's just frying pans and stuff yeah i'm sure it's used okay. for heaps of stuff what does wikipedia say <laughs> it's <laughs> applications and uses i'm not going to read this okay. apparently oh i'm the piercing bullets okay it's used in pyrotechnics uh thread sealed tape uh, dust collection systems, all sorts of fun stuff. Frying so it pans. definitely has more applications than just frying pans. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Good to know. Infrared decoy flares. <laughs> okay. Feet for computer mice. I have actually my mouse pad, my mouse, I'm pretty sure it's Teflon, or at least it was on one of, my, one of, the, one of the previous mouses I've had. Hmm. Okay, so that was fun. We all learned a little so, today. Yeah, exactly. So the last episode is quite a while away, right? So I think the last recording we did was like in November last November year. November last year, yeah, and, exactly. At, at least end of November. So it's like December, January. You know, it's like four months. Whoa, yeah. We're on a yeah. roll. <laughs> so uh, I'm sure you've been up to a few bits and pieces uh, since then. Yeah, I did a lot of work and I did, you know, my share of usual traveling to Australia and back and forth between our countries. You never come visit why is that? What's what's with that? Because yeah, funny enough, you know, like I hardly ever get to go to Melbourne because all the clients I work with in Australia are pretty much at the Gold Coast or in Sydney. Okay. And you know, I, I I used to have exactly one annual trip to Melbourne, and that was CF Objective ANZ up to now. But now that that is actually not probably not happening this year, or well, most likely not happening this year, yeah. I'm not quite sure what's going to happen with my Melbourne trip because I actually like the city quite a lot. So you could, you could organize me a client in Melbourne and then I come visit you. 
How about that? There you go. <laughs> was worth a try. Maybe. One day. Yeah, what have you been up to? What have I been up to? Uh, yeah, working as well, strangely enough. Got to pay those bills. Um, doing a bit of conferences, doing a lot of, doing a lot of learning. Um, just mucking around with a bunch of different stuff recently. Uh, I spent sort of the last, yeah, probably about the last four months or so just learning how much other languages and different interesting stuff. And um, what do we want to get into? What, what fun stuff do we want to get into? Uh, okay. What grabs your uh, fancy? Not... What grabs your fancy, Kai? Should we maybe start talking about conferences? Okay, let's talk about conferences. So, all right, so the top level overview, what conferences are you going to this year? Um, I'm going to see if Objective in the US, most likely, the yep. next month. But I still haven't sorted out my travel or anything, so that's still a little bit pending, but it's my, on my radar. Um, I'm going to PyCon Australia in Hobart. That's in um, early July or late yeah. June. Are you doing much Python uh, at the moment? No, not really a lot at this stage. Um, the reason why I signed up for PyCon is I always wanted to actually go or get more into Python. I mean, I know a bunch of basics um, back from my days in, at uni and stuff like that. Um, but I think it's an interesting language. And then one of the organizers of PyCon in Australia is um, a friend of mine, actually. Yeah. And then, um, you know, it all fell together with, like, the interest in the language, that personal connection, and that it actually is in Hobart, because um, Diana and I have never been to Tasmania, and it was always on our list to visit Tasmania at some point. So, yeah, and then I thought, like, you know what, I'll, I'll just set up for the conference, take uh, make use of the um, early bird pricing, yeah. and then at least I have a motivation to get deeper into the language and maybe into Django before I actually go to get more right. out of the conference, obviously. Okay, cool. So that, yeah, that's Python. Um, I've submitted a topic for uh, D2WC in Kansas City again. Yep. Uh, which is a conference run by D Settler. It's pretty much about workflow and you know working between designers and developers and with the business. Yep. But I haven't heard back anything on that yet. And then Strange Loop is kind of on my radar, so that's what I'm at least planning to do. And after Strange Loop, there is another event in Europe called CF Camp. It's yep. basically a, a Central European, mainly German um, CFML conference with a really big presence of both Adobe and Rylo. And I've been there last year, and it was actually a really, really nice event. So um, I'm going back to that. Actually, as a complete side note, we should get Dee on here to uh, pimp at a conference. Yeah, we should. And talk, yeah. and talk to us about design and developer workflow, which I'm sure would be interesting. Yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah. We should totally do So that. what are you up to from a conference point of view? Um, well, I went to RubyConf uh, earlier this year, and that was really good. Um, I don't know how many conferences I'm going to this year, to be completely honest. Uh, I will be at Strange Leap as well. I think that's that's my uh, have-to-get-there conference. Um, been debating Lambda Jam in Brisbane. Uh, it's a functional programming conference up in Brisbane. Um, it really depends on whether how deep I get into Clojure this year. Um, and I'd, I've always wanted to go to Yao in Melbourne. Uh, it's a pretty big-name conference um, for a long time. Uh, but normally the timing's normally pretty bad because I do a lot of e-commerce stuff that comes in September where we're normally in a rush to get stuff done by Christmas. Uh, so oh, okay. um, if I can get there, that'd be great. If I don't... So yeah, this year it's actually been uh, been more of a, an attempt to try and get more local with my conference content. Maybe a little less traveling. Yeah, I mean, it's... the the For me, the Germany trip is a quite nice way to, you know, see some family and friends. Yeah. And also 
build in like an overseas holiday right away. Right. So after after the conference, we're going to Italy for a week. Oh, very nice. Yeah, um, I'll screw you. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, you made an interesting point with Lambda Jam in Brisbane. Um, unfortunately, it is kind of overlapping with CF Objective in the US. Yeah. So if for whatever reason, CF Objective in the US doesn't work out for me, I will definitely go to Lambda Jam because that is, from what I can see, going to be a really good event. Yeah. Yeah, no, it looks it looks pretty good. But yeah, it's just going to really depend on how much closure I get into. But I'd like to go there. It'd be, it'd be pretty good. Cool. Interesting. I yeah, guess, I see you've written here that you were at Webstock. Yes, previously. Webstock was in February. And how was that? That was awesome. It's always awesome. It's you know the biggest web conference in New Zealand. Yeah. And it's um it's not that much technical. It's much more about conceptual things, ideas, and inspiration. Yeah. And it's kind of the the big meeting thing for the whole web industry in Wellington, but also you know people from Auckland or from the South Island come down. Yep. We, get, we, we got a whole bunch of people from Australia coming over this year for this event. Which it was seems pretty popular. I, yeah, I, it, I, it always amazes me as well. Like It tends to sell out before any of the programming is online. Yeah. Everyone just goes, well, it's Webstock. It's going to be awesome. I'll be there. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I, I bought the first ticket this year, basically, they ever sold. Yeah. I, bought it, I managed to find the URL for the registration before they switched it live, actually, before oh, they really? announced it. I just booked a ticket, and then I got like a... <laughs> A Twitter DM from Mike, one of the organizers, saying like, "Did you just book a ticket? How did you manage to do that?" <laughs> well, I just tempered with the URL until I found the registration <laughs> site. So, um, yeah, and it's 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 kind of true, you know. You can pretty much blindly book it because it will be an awesome conference. And yeah. depending on you know like what fancies your interest, they also do workshops the the um, on the three days before the conference. Yeah. Where oh well, where some of the speakers offer workshops. And, you know, sometimes those things are really awesome as well. Uh, a few years ago, I took a full-day workshop on typography. Oh, yeah. Which is a thing I really have to deal with in my day-to-day work, but it's just, like, different enough to get me out of my comfort zone, but still interesting enough to get a lot of stuff out of it. Because you're and basically I, a closet designer. That's really what it is, isn't it? You just You just want to be a graphic designer. No, I wouldn't say I want to be a graphic designer, but typography is something that actually interests me. You want to get the, your kerning on. I know. Hmm? You want to get your kerning on. It's all about your serifs and your, your non-serifs. Exactly. And that was a, I mean, that was a really interesting day, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. Cool. Very cool. You should come to WebStock at some point. You know, yeah. Make it, a, make it a New Zealand trip or something like that. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, maybe. So how was RubyCon? RubyConf was really good, actually. Um, so it was my first ever Ruby conference, so first time going into the community. Um, well, apart from uh, I think I've been to one meetup, and um, so I did. I did a day one workshop. Um, I did the JRuby workshop, and I've been working with JRuby for a bit. Um, but uh, Charles Nutter um, and Hiro Asari um, were the ones reading it, and Charles Nutter is actually the lead. Probably the most most prolific contributor. Uh, he works for Red Hat and basically spends most of his day working on JRuby professionally. Um, okay. So I had a little nerdgasm going. <laughs> I'm gonna hang out with Charles Nutter. That's so cool. <laughs> but yeah, it was a good. It was um it was an interesting workshop in that we had a variety of people from people who were like, look, I use JRuby all the time and I'm just 
you know, I want to learn more stuff to I've never used JRuby at all, um, even though I, I write Ruby in, on MRI and stuff. Um, so, yeah, we went through a variety of stuff, learned a whole bunch of little interesting different bits and pieces, but, um, yeah, JRuby's awesome and I love it. So I was pretty pretty happy about it and we did some a bunch of neat stuff in that. So it was actually a really good workshop. Um, and overall, yeah, the sessions were really good too. Uh, a lot of really good technical sessions from a variety of angles. Um, some some interesting ones about the weird stuff you can do with with Ruby and some of its syntactical bizarreness. Um, but um, yeah, nice people, really really nice people. Ran into some people who I knew through a variety of other communities as well, which was good fun. And yeah, had a really good time. I was really, I was actually really happy to go. And a well-run conference too. So they did a really okay. good job. Yeah, really I'm looking forward to, to, to PyCon in Hobart. I mean, that will be my first interaction with the Python community. Yeah. And um, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I, I've seen that Sean Caulfield went to PyCon in the U.S. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he blogged about it, and he was actually really happy, and he was you know, totally pleased with the way how the, the Python community over there embraced yep. movies and, you know, first-timers. So, you know, I'm pretty sure it will be a similar experience yeah. with the audience. RubyConf was, was quite similar uh, to, like, almost WebStock, where I think it pretty much sold out before even the program was up. Okay. Um, there, there was just so much demand for it. In fact, they opened it. They ended up having to find more tickets. Um, they ended up actually showing the keynote in a separate room via telecast, essentially, because they wanted more people to be able to attend. Um, I think, actually, I've... I was on the mailing list for RubyConf, and I think I saw that email where they yeah. said, like, found another 80 tickets or something like that. Yeah, yeah. and they sold out too. So, yeah, and the, and the JRuby workshop, I think most of the workshops sold out. Um, it was pretty crazy. I think they had first year, it was like 300, 400 people, oh, which, is, wow. which is really impressive. Um, so, yeah, no, it, and, and all volunteer run, and no, they did a, they did a really good a really good job. Um, okay, had some um, had some good talks from the guys at GitHub and guys from Braintree, um, guys from Heroku. So you know, a variety of really interesting people, which was good too. It's interesting. GitHub seems to be around a lot at conferences recently mm. to promote GitHub as a product or GitHub Enterprise. Is that your impression as well? I see them all the time nowadays, popping up as sponsors. Yeah, often, you know, yeah, that's smaller true. meetups and stuff like that. I see them as sponsors a lot. I see them presenting a lot. Um, I don't see them pushing stuff. Like I never feel like it's like, hey, you know, come, come, you know, come use GitHub. Use GitHub. It's awesome. It's awesome. It's awesome um, for your enterprise needs. Um, but I definitely, yeah, they're definitely out there seemingly to support the community a lot. And they're just kind of like, we're just going to hang out and drink with you. And if you happen to use our stuff, that's really cool. <laughs> um, it's, it's quite interesting. Let's just maybe switch topic br briefly to talk about those, um, you know, hosted version control repository services. Oh, yeah. Because recently, um, and that's a bit of out of the blue, sorry, we didn't have that in our little plan, really. I just edited cool. it <laughs> on the fly. Um, so recently I was working with a client in, in Sydney, and they were using Atlassian, right, the whole yeah. Atlassian on-demand suite with Jira and um, Confluence. And they were actually still um, running some version as their repository for their code because that was just what came, you know, ages yeah. ago with the version with Atlassian on demand. So um, apparently, what Atlassian is doing now is they are facing out the version, which is, I think, the right move to do basically yep. anyway. Yep. Yep. But they um, basically said like we give everyone like another year, and by October 2013. 
you have to be migrated to either running Subversion in-house, you know, behind your firewall, or you can use Bitbucket with Mercurial, or, you know, like a yep. stash with Git or whatever what you want. And they actually provide a really, really well-done migration path. I went through the migration with that client, and it's actually so smooth, the Atlassian guys have done a really, really good job. But okay. what I found then is... Um, it is really hard to host Mercurial, if you want that, behind the firewall in your own environment. Oh, because yeah. Atlassian basically offers Bitbucket, right? Bitbucket is obviously a cloud-based service, and it supports Git now and Mercurial. That's fine. Yep. Then you have Git, GitHub. GitHub is Git, and it's cloud-based again. Then Atlassian has a product called Stash, which is a Git repository service, and you can run that in-house. That's cool, but it doesn't support Mercurial. And there used to be a product, or there is a product, called Kiln from um, yeah. the guys at Fogbus in the US. Um, and they provide like on-demand cloud-based hosting for Mercurial, and they used to have a product um, which is called like Kiln on-premises or something like that. So you can you know buy the server and run it in-house. And it seems that they have discontinued to sell that. It's not actively promoted on their website anymore. And someone I know recently inquired about buying a license for their company. Yeah. And they basically said, like, oh, no, we're not going to do that anymore um, because it's just too hard to maintain with all the different environments, blah, blah, blah. We're just doing cloud-based stuff. So I'm just you know, wondering is, is there anything out there for people who want to host Mercurial in, in-house? I did a bit of research, but I just couldn't find anything at all. It seems to be like a totally deserted market. And the only people who can push into that at this stage, from what I can see, is um, at last by adding Mercurial support for Stash. Yeah, see, there's there's one big issue here. Nobody wants Mercurial. So. <laughs> yeah, but Mercurial has like, you know, it has a quite big community. And there are lots of people out there who, for whatever reason, you know, want to host Internally, and who don't well, actually, use like I, I would, I would, uh, from what you said, and not knowing Mercurial at all, and I, I, I say that, I say, I say nobody wants Mercurial with a grain of salt and a little tongue in cheek, but if there was a big enough market for it, somebody would make this product. The fact that no one is making this product or supporting this product says to me that the demand's not really there. Yeah, I'm, okay, I give you that argument. That is unfortunately a fair thing to say. Just to say. As much as I, I just, know you love Mercurial. Yeah, I just think, I mean, I use both. Right? I use GitHub for some projects, and for some other projects I use Mercurial. I just find that, um, particularly for Windows-based organizations, and again, you know, like, like it or don't, it's just the reality that they're out there, um, it is usually much, much easier to migrate from something like CVS or Subversion to Mercurial than to Git. That's just my experience. Yeah, yeah, no, everything. I understand. Um, I think the big issue you're going to face is that pretty much the de facto standard for open source is Git and GitHub. Yes. That is that is pretty much it. So when developers come to actually want to use source control themselves, they're like, well, we're just going to use Git because that's what we're used to because that's where we're going to put stuff anyway. Um, and in fact, if they're looking for cloud house or cloud hosted sourcing, um, then I think uh, cloud hosted source control is what I was trying to say. Then actually GitHub becomes almost a de facto standard there again because it's what they're used to. The tools are there. They know what they're getting into. It's very simple. Unless they're already probably, I would say the only 
divisive factor there is if they're very used to like Jira and Confluence and all that stuff, in which case, yeah, I can see them going to the Elastium path very, very easily. Um, but if they're not, if they're very used to doing, you know, ticket tracking or wiki or even just using the GitHub tools for pulls and pushes and then they're just going to go, well, GitHub's easy. I know how it works. You know, I've already got accounts. Bam, I'm done. Thank you. So do you think like Mercurial is going to, you know, die out over the next two, three years then? Or I have you... no opinion on that whatsoever because I've never used Mercurial and I have no finger on the pulse at all in the community. Okay, yeah, fair enough. I don't know anyone that's using it except for you, actually. Really? Yeah, I don't I don't see Mercurial show up in my Twitter feeds. I think I see it maybe once every six months. Uh, I hear you mention it. Um, I, I don't see it. Like, and that may just be the people I hang out with. Maybe we're all just really biased against Mercurial. I have no idea. I've never heard anyone put down Mercurial. I just don't hear it. Okay. Interesting. Really interesting. I, sound like, I probably hear more people go, oh, I'm still on SVN. This sucks. And I hear, oh, I'm using Mercurial. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm I'm happy for anyone to you know move away from Subversion, and I don't care yeah. if it's Mercurial or Git. At least they get away from Subversion. That's you know probably a good thing, really. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, that's an interesting observation. Actually, I need to maybe I should run a Twitter filter on Mercurial, like another column in my my yeah. deck or something, and see how often it's being mentioned. And then I will report back in you know next week or in two weeks when we do the next recording and see what actually people talk about because I never looked into that. You know, if people talk about Mercurial. Yeah. Okay, as a, as a complete side note, because I'm actually now just curious, what columns do you have on your Twitter accounts that you uh, you keep track of? Oh, really? Uh, let me just hang on. I need to open TweetDeck, and that might take a moment because there are so many columns. <laughs> <laughs> I've only got a few. I actually don't have that many. Uh, so the the problem is, I've got like a whole bunch of Twitter accounts. Um, yeah. So. A bunch of the, I've got in total. Let me just have a look. Twenty-one columns. Twenty-one columns. But in saying that, I've got like nine. Why do you have twenty? Hang on. In saying that, there are a whole bunch of columns for other accounts, right? So, for example, I've got a mention column for an account called Creative Camp NZ. I've got mentions for Karari Cat. Which you know, is, you can just have them as like one column. Like you just need one. I know, but I don't want. I don't. I want to have them. I don't want to have them merged. I want to have them separate. Ah, oh, okay. Then I've got like another column mentions two DDU podcast and another column mentions Zenix Machina, which is another company I own. Um, so those are alone just four or five other mention columns, basically. So in terms of actual searches, where I'm looking for you know certain keywords, I've got one with my name, Kai Koenig. Yeah, one with, <laughs> one with um, Ventigo. Yeah, I've one with uh, hang on. Closure. I've got one with right. IntelliJ, one with Confusion, one with CFML, Rilo, and Blog in Black. Okay. Uh, what have I got? I've got yeah. Okay, okay. So Home Me Inbox, usual stuff. I've got one for JRuby. Um, I've got one for Strange Loop, which I keep going all year round. I normally write I, in. I used to, yeah, I do conference ones usually when the conference is a bit closer. But I keep the Strange Loop one because throughout the year they're always putting up presentations from the previous conference, so it's oh, really okay. good to see see stuff um, come through that. Because uh, sometimes I'll miss it if it if they just put it up and it just gets buried in my feed somewhere. So normally it gets retweeted and whatnot enough so much that it'll actually show up in that column. Okay. Um, I have a hash 2DDU, even though no one ever uses it. Um, I have Cold Fusion, 
Uh, RubyConf AU is still sitting there from the past RubyConf. And yeah, I just have one for my name just to see what's going on. Though I get a lot of Howie Mandel's stuff. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's really annoying. Um, but yeah, that's, that's all I have on there. I've been thinking about putting a closure one on there too as I've been reading more about closure. Okay. Yeah, so it is kind of similar, really. I mean, you have like columns yeah, for technologies. Like like you are. <laughs> well, that's just because I have so many Twitter accounts, right? And I mean, obviously, a mention column for my cat is really important. You can blend it. I mean, I've got one for my dog. Don't get me wrong, but <laughs> <laughs> we also have a Twitter account for um, our new chicken, actually. Oh, good. Very important. Yeah, I'm just putting out there, you know, Karori Chuk, if you want to follow it. Oh my god. Fair enough. I'm sure that'll be in the conference in the in the notes for today's podcast. Oh, sure it will. Ah, oh, jeez, that's funny. Oh, you actually put a note on here saying that IntelliJ 12.1 is out. Yes, I re- yes it's cool. Um, that, this is going to sound ridiculous, but there's like little tiny things that are different that I really like. I just installed it today, actually. I I haven't installed the um, the early access program builds. No, I've done it. Some of the plug, the, some of the plugins I used didn't really work well with them. Yeah. Um, and actually, still La Closure, the Closure plugin for IntelliJ, doesn't work properly oh, really? as of this morning. Yeah, I just tried to update. I updated it, but it still doesn't like it. Oh, I haven't actually tried it, but um, I I plugged it in and um, it said it was it said it was valid. You know, sometimes they're like, I, I just won't, I won't install because it's not, it won't install for this version, but it actually installed and it said it was fine. So I, yeah, I didn't try it. Yeah, an error message saying like, um, ah. I'm not supported for this version or something like that. Fair enough. So, so I think um, they hopefully fix that quite soon. But yeah, yeah, but it's got some nice stuff now. I really like um, the new, uh, they, they redid a little just there. I mean, it's a little thing, but um, the way it does uh, bracket highlighting. It just changes the color of them, like, just quite nicely. There, I think when I'm doing Ruby code, it's, like, orange for, for brackets. And it makes it, like, this really bright orange rather than putting boxes around and stuff. And it actually makes it really visually nice to look at. Just there's a lot of little things like that that I really like. Is it actually um, Ruby-specific, or is that a general IntelliJ? I'm, I've been coding in JRuby for last week, so I couldn't say for sure. Um, but I would expect it's probably a general thing. They probably just changed the way they're doing their parentheses highlighting. But there was just a lot of little things like that that I was like, oh, that's really nice. Um, I, I started actually use um, the Python plugin in yep. IntelliJ 12, um, and that seems to be really nice, actually. It works quite well. That's which does, is not too surprising, because I think JetBrains has a specific Python IDE as well, right? Yeah. So they probably just, you know, used exactly the same plugin or the, exactly the same technology in IntelliJ, I assume. But it would be interesting to see, you know, because I'm quite new in the whole Python thing, yep. uh, if you've got any listeners who do Python on a more regular basis, I'd love to get some feedback what people code in, actually, when they yep. do Python. I just used IntelliJ because it's my default IDE to go to yep. normally for that stuff, and it usually works at least reasonably well or actually really good. Yep. So, But maybe there is something even better out there. No, I, um, to, to segue quite nicely, actually, um, there's a, a Linux tool I use called Quake. Uh, it's a drop-down terminal okay. that I, I live in, like, all day, mm-hmm. um, that uh, I've been trying to get a bit more involved in. Um, as the, the lead developer's not really doing a lot with it anymore and, and stuff, and that's a Python project. Um, so I've actually been wanting to get, get stuck into that code and have a look at Because I mean, I actually want to do some um, some desktop. This is, this is going to segue all over the place, but... Um, 
I've been wanting to do some desktop Linux development for a while, uh, and it looks like pretty much the best way of doing that seems to be Python. Really? Well, interesting. I could okay. write it. Actually, there are options. I could write it in like Mono, which is .NET um, for the for the Linux platform. Um, I could Ruby. I don't think you're really guaranteed that the Ruby runtimes are going to be installed. I think that's pretty much pretty much a given. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and the other option is probably like C, which I don't really don't want to do. Yeah. Um, so it, yeah, so the GTA. It, it seems like pretty much everything that's written for the desktop for Linux is pretty much. Um, either, actually, I would say that probably either Mono or um, or Python. And um, I don't really want to write .NET. So um, even though even though it's not .NET on the .NET platform, um, it's just C sharp. Um, so yeah, I've been wanting to to sort of maybe dip my hands in there a bit. Um, but one of the impetuses behind that is uh, I got one of the Leap Motion dev units a while ago, and they finally released a Linux driver for it, which works, which is great. Uh, okay. Um, and there's some stuff I want to write in that, and uh, yeah, so writing some some little little utils for doing fun stuff. Uh, I think I'll probably end up doing it in Python. I mean, I can do. They actually have Java drivers. They have uh, a .NET driver, which I can't use, um, and they have Python drivers and stuff. So, yeah, um, quite quite keen to muck around with that. If anyone hasn't looked at it, go look at the Leap Motion website. It's pretty cool. Um, it has a really nice depth of field um, in that it, it uh, like I have it probably sitting. Uh, my keyboard probably sits you know 15, 20 centimeters away from me, and then on top of my keyboard there's it actually sits probably 10, 15 centimeters away from that, but it still picks up my hands and stuff quite far away from there. So if okay. I want to just like pick my hand up above the keyboard and just kind of do like a swishing gesture or something, it picks that up quite nicely. It's it's pretty pretty uh, pretty nice. You should maybe you know take a quick video of or get your wife to take a video of you using it. It would be interesting to to see. Yeah, so I've got all I've got so far is the visualizer working. Um, but I actually just like I want little things like when I'm typing, I just want to go swish and go to the next song. You know, like a little left or right hand movement. Mm, okay. The yeah. next song or or pause. You know, pause what I'm listening to because I'm normally hitting like a function key and play or something that's that's hard to hit. Um, mm-hmm. But I could see that being really annoying. Like I pick my hand up to go to the mouse and all of a sudden it's like, oh, I'm going to the next song. I'm like no, 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 I don't want you to do it now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, we'll see. That should be that should be a bit of fun. So yeah, um, I might do some. The, the other option I was actually thinking of doing was writing it in Clojure, just because I want to write stuff in Clojure and it gives me an excuse. Yeah, that's a fair point. Um, but you wanna do you wanna do like um, a UI as well? Oh, maybe. I think the the annoying thing with um, if you want to do like little desktop apps, building them on the JVM when you've got the overhead of the JVM, I think is probably a little overkill. Yeah. Yeah, if it's all like that's a little desktop app that all it does is pick up. Oh, you've gestured left, you've gestured right. Now go, you know, send a send a debus message or something to to um to a Linux program to say, hey, go to the next song. Um, it's probably a little overhead for a little bit too much overhead for that. So writing stuff in Python makes a bit more sense. But at the same time, it could be just a fun little experiment. So what the hell? Okay, sounds fun. So and lots of fun stuff to play with. Um, but to segue once again, quite nicely actually, um, the other weekend there was a free closure workshop here in, in Melbourne. Okay. Who was doing that? Or was, who was uh, offering that? It was the Melbourne Functional Programmer Group. Okay. Um, they were running that and it was awesome. It was absolutely awesome. Um, if actually anyone's looking for uh, closure training, the Lambda Jam guys are actually putting on uh, closure training, I think in most of the major cities in Australia. Hmm. Um, I should actually... Uh, Look that up and stick that in the show notes. So that um, people can find it. Um, here we go. <laughs> I found the link. 
Um, but it was it was really cool. So I'd never really um, I'd sort of read some stuff about closure. I'm still reading a lot. Uh, I haven't got as far into it as I'd like at the moment. Um, but it was really cool. We we sat down. We did some real problems. We went through some basics. Um, did you know a whole bunch of stuff on Fibonacci sequences and whatnot, and, and some interesting algorithmic problems. Some of which made my head hurt a lot, <laughs> but were at least enough to kind of make you think about how closure works and get you building something, which was really good. Um, but yeah, everyone there was great, and it was a really it was a really really good session. Um, so I'm just keeping on keeping on reading my closure book and getting stuff, trying to get stuff like in my brain on it so that I can kind of muck around with it a bit more because it's, it's fun. It is. And, so, you know, like, as we've said multiple times, you know, whenever you deal with a new language and learn a new language, it kind of changes the way how you think about the stuff yeah. you've been doing in the past. Yep, yep. No, I agree. With that's just useful in general. Yeah, and gives you more options. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, there's the, the aspects of closure around dealing with they call like infinite lists and stuff or lazy loaded lists and whatnot. Like that gives you some ideas and really good options for dealing with huge data sets without having memory overflows and things like that. And um, there's some, there's some definitely neat stuff and the way it handles concurrency actually, I, it's just sweet. Yeah. <laughs> really nice. Really, 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 really nice. I watched um, a conference talk recording the other day actually um, from a conference in 2011, but I had it sitting in my iTunes for ages it was it was called cool code oh yeah um and one thing that the guy actually said i mean he compared you know programming languages and different different ways how to solve certain types of problems and he said like so this is java this is what we call an enterprise language and now let's jump to python a language in which we can actually get stuff done <laughs> <laughs> i thought yeah yeah that's not actually not totally off that's <laughs> kind, of, kind of true yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. I mean, the JVM's obviously rock solid, and I think well, I can see, I can definitely see a lot. I would almost say the majority of new languages sitting on top of the JVM because there's just so much stuff they don't have to worry about doing that, mm-hmm. um, like garbage collection and, and just-in-time compiling and you know all that sort of stuff that that you need to do yourself just to write a language, which I think is just it's just would just suck really. Mm-hmm. Um, but well, I find yeah, go on. Sorry. Um, what I just want to j- chime in is, um, you know, when we talk about other languages, do you feel in, in Ruby land, JRuby is more or less the preferred option of how people run their Ruby applications? Or is it like, a- about pref- like this is this is purely anecdotal from my experience. I wouldn't say necessarily preferred. Um, in fact, I would definitely not say preferred from what I've seen. Um, but I definitely think it's picking up traction. Um, okay. Uh, I think there's a lot of people who, um, I think I think the MRI has traditionally had some stability issues in the past, from what I've heard. Again, so take it all with a grain of salt. Um, and while it's constantly getting better, the ability to run stuff on the JRuby is is so nice um, that I think a lot of people are moving across to it. Although there are issues with compatibility with C extensions and a few other bits and pieces um, that you can you can write. Uh, bits of Ruby uh, make in MRI you can have C extensions so you have stuff written in C um, and the other fun thing is it what normally catches people out and I think a lot of people are moving across is uh, MRI Ruby has what they call a a global lock I can't remember exactly what the term is off the top of my head it's something like that so basically it's single threaded um, so okay. every request that comes through is single threaded so normally they get around it by running multiple processes so mm-hmm. rather than having multiple threads 
and that that itself causes some issues with scalability. Um, but also means that when you come across to doing stuff in JRuby with with actual threads, there's a lot of libraries out there that aren't thread safe. Ah, okay. Which can make things tricky when you want to make the migration. Yeah. Um, so th- there is that. But um, no, I love JRuby. I mean, we we started using JRuby from the outset, so we love it. Um, yeah, the reason I was asking is when I got more into Python, I was actually looking around what Python on the JVM would do. And I had a chat to a friend of mine who's in the Python community, and he said basically, from what he can see, um, Jython, like Python on the JVM, is tiny. It's yeah, like it's, that way it's, too. it's like a minor, yeah. small, super tiny community. And people just use it if they want to actually... Um, integrated pretty much with some other JVM-based stuff. Yep, yep. And, yeah, so it seems most Python people just use, you know, the non-JVM Python. Yeah, no, it seems like... that's that. When I was looking at a Python ages ago, when we were looking at a lot of languages, that seemed to be the case as well from what I saw. Because, look, Python doesn't have those issues. You know, if yep. you want threading, you have threading, if you want all that stuff. You know, Jython, I don't think, necessarily brings a lot more to the table other than JVM integration, Yeah. which may not be a huge deal, whereas... For, for Ruby and JRuby, as soon as you try and do anything with concurrency, it's like, oh, man, I just wish I had, like, real threads and stuff. And so JRuby is just like, whoa, there's a savior. Thank you. You can give me a lot of stuff I couldn't get. And then you also get all the libraries as well that come along with it. Um, so I think there's a there's a big win there. Um, so, but, yeah, I think that's a, it's an interesting topic in and of itself. Okay. Interesting. So should we maybe quickly talk about the confusion side of things, or the CFML side of things, rather? Go on, then. <laughs> oh, yeah. I just found, like, you know, I just collected a, a few news that came in over the last few ways, a few weeks, basically. And yep. um, one was, there is finally confusion on Amazon Web Service. Hoo-hoo-hoo. Yay! About 17 years too late, but yay! <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, you could always run it yourself, obviously, if yeah. you had licenses. But now there is, like, um, an AMI that's provided. I didn't have a too close look into the pricing. I've just no seen idea. on a few mailing lists that people said, like, it's probably on the rather too expensive end. But, sure. you know, I can't really comment on any of that. I don't know. Um, the other thing is there is... Um, Called Fusion 11 Alpha coming oh, soon. Yeah. So the Adobe developer, the, the Cold Fusion development team had like um, a survey monkey form out there for a few, probably a few weeks now, where people could sign up for yep. the um, Alpha. I don't know if that's still around, but people have blocked about it publicly, so it's not secret knowledge that this is coming rather soon. Yeah. And also um, there is a beta of Rylo 4.1, which oh, is neat. really cool. So there are a whole bunch of Really interesting new things coming in in Rylo 4.1, I think, which are really worthwhile looking at. And um, yeah, after Rylo 4.0, with all the um, tiny upgrades they've delivered since the release of 4.0, yeah. was already really good. I think 4.1 is um, you know making people quite happy. Yeah, cool. Well, that's exciting. Yeah. What are you doing and with all your CFML-based open source projects. Are you still working on those or are they going to be just stable and, you know, bug yeah, fixing um, there? Really, yeah, pretty much. Actually, I've got a bug fix I need to fix in Culturing 2. It's been sitting there for ages. Um, unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, I'm doing less and less CFML these days, so um, the impetus to update stuff is, is harder. Although, interestingly, um, 
there seems to be an upswing again of, of people writing stuff, like uh, seeing a lot more stuff on the transfer mailing list. Really? <laughs> yeah, like it's like a couple of people who have come up. Um, one guy's trying to get transfer running on Confusion 10 and finding um, all sorts of weirdness happening because they updated the XPath engine, I think Cersei's or whatever it was, mm-hmm. and there's a whole bunch of stuff in there that's just breaking and, and breaking in bizarre and wonderful ways with stack overflows and whatnot that are just, Oops. <laughs> like, like inside the XPath stuff, like, it's it's messed. Um, okay. What else was there? There was a couple of other things. Like, just when I think it's, like, totally gone, um, something pops up, somebody going, I'm trying to do this thing with it, I don't know. Yeah, so it's still, it's still going on, which is kind of, it kind of cracks me up a little. Um... So that that's always fun, but uh, yeah, as I've been saying for a long time, I mean the the stuff in the Cold Spring two um, GitHub repositories is stabilized. I mean we've been using it in production forever. Um, yeah, it hasn't been touched, but it's also like with a lot of it, if if you don't get the community feedback, it's like it's not much fun. Oh yeah, you know, it's kind of cool if it's a cool and interesting product. But um, yeah, so there hasn't been a huge amount of uptake. Like I've got sort of four or five people who have said you know I'm doing stuff with it, but that's not. That's not exciting. Um, so it's it's there. If people want to use it, it's cool. And if they don't, then that's cool too. Just keep hacking on, hacking on. Mm, yeah, makes sense. I recently wrote um, a CFML API provider for a, for a solution called raygun.io. Oh, yeah. Um, it's basically an error that's... tracking tool. Oh, it's, yeah. It's really cool. It basically, you you know, you um, they provide a REST API. And... Um, you can use it to lock and track errors, and you get notifications, and you get dashboards Ooh. and lots of stuff. It is a really cool okay. product. It's done by um, um, a, some guys here from Wellington, who I know, and um, so I wrote a CFML provider for that. And they've got providers for all sorts of languages already. That's really cool. They are basically a .NET shop, you know, yeah. in terms of you know what their original skills are. But you know, they have a PHP library. Someone has written something for Python. Um, there is CFML. There's a JavaScript provider in, term, in, in case you want to lock front-end type of errors via AJAX or something like that. Yeah. So it's um, turning out to be a really, really cool product, actually. Okay. Uh, applications. That's not bad. Looks kind of cool. Yeah. Looks- you should give it a try. Or we could maybe get JD to you know jump on the podcast at some point and tell us a little bit tell about, us about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd be interested in learning more. He sees arrow tracking going. It's it's quite competitive market. I mean, there are a bunch of offerings out there that do some kind of error logging and error tracking. Yeah. Um, I find you know Raygun works really well for um, you know because it's nice. It's it's easy to use and it's just beautiful from look and feel when you actually use it and you yeah. get like statistics and graphs and it's like yeah sweet that's cool everything need to fix bugs fast interesting interesting yeah, yeah we got, we're, are you, I'm using it actually on my um, on my own website which doesn't produce many errors really yeah uh, we're rolling it out to one of my clients quite soon and um, just see how it goes with tracking errors from like a massive production cluster yeah um, but yeah I mean it's, it's quite fun. So if people are interested in that, we'll probably post the the um, the URL to the repository in the show notes as well, and then people can grab it and have a play with it. That's fair enough. It's interesting. I mean, I've always used, you know, the Gmail account that receives all the error emails and, you know, the good old errors come by email thing, and, and that's actually worked pretty well. Actually, doing it in Gmail is actually really nice because the searching and the filtering is really nice. Um, 
Yeah, what they basically do is, you know, sometimes you get you get like errors which pop up in a really short amount of time, right? And then you yeah. act on them basically because there might be something critical or whatever. Yep. And so they basically um, group errors or similar things, and then they notify you, and they always also give you like a trend. Does it have uh, notifications for things like PagerDuty and stuff like that? Does it have integration with things like that? Um, I don't think it has that yet, but I'm pretty sure that's on their radar because it's yeah. like been continuously developed. And they are currently building and releasing soon um, a way to push in more custom data and to filter nice. filter better in the UI if you want to look for certain instances of errors and stuff like that. Oh, but, yeah, yeah we should maybe to jump on and then we can have a chat about stuff like that, like, you know, SMS notifications and whatever people would want, really. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. That cool. Would be, that would be cool. Um, another quick jump to a slightly different topic. How's your game doing? Ah, oh, I haven't touched it in ages. Um, I had too much fun stuff to learn. Um, I, I got, I was, I got, so I was doing game stuff. Did we talk about that in the podcast? I think we, I, I mocked you a few times in regards to, you know, your OpenGL and math skills or the lack of math skills to understand <laughs> 3D matrix calculations. But I don't know how, how no, much. No, we can't have done because it was, it was, yeah, it was way last year. We were talking about confusion stuff. So I know we've, I've sent out a lot of tweets and whatnot. Um, so yeah, I started, I started talking about wanting to do some game stuff, I think late last year, um, after CF Objective. Um, and uh, started mucking around with some 2D stuff um, and uh, sort of had some procedural land generation happening, which was kind of cool. And then I was using a, a library called uh, Slick2D, which is very user-friendly and very easy to use. Um, but it looked like a lot of people were using another library called LWJGL. Uh, no, sorry, not that one. Uh, LibGDX is the one mm -hmm. I'm talking about. Um, and that actually provides a lot of stuff where you can, you know, you can just put it on the desktop. You can actually put it in the web browser. It'll do. It'll convert to WebGL. Um, you can put it on Android. Um, I think there's actually even hooks to move that over to um, move it over to uh, the Apple the Apple phone stuff. Um, so started looking at that, and that's a bit more low level than Slick 2D. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, okay, well, I reckon if I actually want to learn how this thing works properly, I should probably go off and actually learn OpenGL all over again. Uh, so I was like, okay, let's go do that. Um, and I did some OpenGL when I was at university and um, realized very, very quickly that OpenGL since when I did it in university is very different from what it is now. <laughs> <laughs> very, 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 very different. So um, um, I've, yeah, I've written a whole bunch of blog posts on it, but... Um, yeah, the whole structure of it's very different. Back in the day, it sort of basically used to be like, I want to draw a quad, so like a square or a rectangle, and you'd go, GL draw a quad, and you'd go, point there, point there, point there, point there, and you'd go, end, and it would go, square, and you'd be like, awesome, I rock it doing things in 3D. Now it's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> now, now what I want you to do is you want to, you want to, you want to get some points, you want to put them in a buffer, and you want to put that buffer inside the GPU. And then you want to say, okay, how do you want to render these points that are in the GPU? Because they could be anything, they're really just data. And then you have to say, this is how I want you to render it. So here are some shaders, and here are some, you know, here's how to draw the colors, and here's how to draw the vertexes, because you can manipulate them inside the GPU if you want. And then once you've done that, you say, this is how you render it, and this is how the data is structured, and then you're finally done. And you're like, wow, I have a triangle after 30 lines of code. Crap! <laughs> <laughs> and it does your head in a little, but... um. 
Yeah, so I wanted to play more with JRuby, and so I used a library called LWJGL, which is a nice uh, lightweight Java games library, um, which is stuff like Minecraft and all sorts of stuff uh, uses. And actually, if you're using like LibGDX or, or SlickGD, they actually run on top of using LWJGL as well, um, as, as do many other Java libraries. Um, so, yep, I managed to draw a triangle. I was really proud of that. So I actually got around to the point where I've actually drawn a pyramid, and I can rotate the pyramid using matrix math. I felt very proud of myself for that. And then I started getting into lighting, and my brain exploded. <laughs> <laughs> so I've, I've, I've read a little bit more into the lighting, but I'm just – at the moment, actually, I'm, I'm on a real learning kick. So, like, I'm, like, learning a little bit of OpenGL, and then I'm going back to closure and then sort of playing with this, that, and the other. So I'm really enjoying learning a whole bunch of very disparate stuff. Um, but so I'm on a bit of a closure kick at the moment, and then once I probably get back out of that, I might play with my Leap Motion and then maybe get back into my game stuff. The problem I'm having with the game stuff is I don't know what game to make. Oh, okay. <laughs> if I had a plan for a game, like I had a bit of a plan for a game, and I've actually discovered that there's about two or three different people who have built amazing versions of the game I was thinking of making, and I'm like, well, I'm just not going to do that now. Um, so <laughs> it's like, <laughs> so, but look, a good problem to have. There's a lot of stuff I want to learn, so I'm just... It's it's doing game stuff actually is such a different mindset and such a different space from doing like web apps. It's it's mm-hmm. but it's great fun. It's it's just really fun to program really different things. Cool. So um yeah, it's that's pretty cool. So having fun, just having fun learning new stuff. Sweet. Maybe at some point we should actually have like a show just talking about the game stuff. Yeah, we should do that. That'd be awesome. But I need to read up on a few things before we do that. Yeah, we could <laughs> that pull, um, you know, who, we could pull it. We could pull in Justin McLean. I know he's done stuff. Or we could pull in the guys. Um, oh, what's the name? They were at CF Objective. They did it. Oh yes, yes, yes. I know what you mean. From yeah, a. yeah, they're really cool guys. We could. Um, what's their name? What's the name of their company? You can't remember either, can you? No, I need to have. A, I need to look it up. That's with a P. I'm totally looking it up. Oh, and they're really nice guys too. Uh, uh, program. Go on, go on. See if you can find it first. I'm not even trying. I mean, you're uh, the only person looking for it. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, oh, and apparently um, I can't get the session details because it's broken. Yep, it's totally broken. Ah! <laughs> it's Jessa and Nathan anyway. Yes, Jessa. Yeah, I can't remember the company name, but we'll, we should have a chat to them. Okay. Yeah, that'd actually be really that'd be fun if they want to come if they want to come speak to us, of course. But they've well, had a, a fair. Day. I mean, it's an honor to speak on our podcast, right? Sure, let's go with that. <laughs> Alrighty, so we're over an hour already. Um, yep. Should we maybe wrap it up? Sounds okay. good. Or like come back from the four month hiatus. Hiatus, that's just talking about stuff. Now that sounds good. All right, well, if people want to reach you, Kai, where can they reach you? Um, Agent K on Twitter or um, on my blog, blogginblack.de. Uh, if they want to reach me, Neurotic on Twitter. Um, if they want to reach the podcast, 2DDU podcast. Um, if they want to reach me via my website, which I hate and I really want to replace, and I'm hassling my wife to design me a new one, uh, compoundtheory.com. Um, and the website URL for our podcast is 2ddu.com as well. Correct. Awesome. So that's it. That's all I've that's got. It. Yeah, me too. Well, actually, you forgot one thing. What's that? And that is that awesome, awesome bootstrap theme we found the other day. Or, you know, you found and I knew about it for a few days already. Yeah, I had, I had one of my coworkers send it through. Oh, yeah, we, we, I mean, 
we just put the link into the show note, basically, and yep. make sure you click on that link because it's, it's awesome. awesome. And it's a proof of the theory that some people just have way too much time on their hands. <laughs> exactly. Wonderful. All right, well, you have a great day, Kai. You too. Have a good weekend, and, um, yeah, we'll speak soon. All right, speak to you later. Cool. Bye-bye.